Good morning, good morning, good morning. The late, great Brandon Jenkins, finger on the trigger, kicking things off for us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today as always. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. I do appreciate each and every one of you more than you know because if y'all don't listen, really, what's the point of having the show? So thanks for being here. Thanks to Lone Star Beer, our presenting sponsor as well. We've got a great show lined up for you today and I'll tell you all about it momentarily but uh, something cool that we did this past weekend um man my life revolves so much around my kids and going to soccer games and practices and the girls are in gymnastics and all that fun stuff uh but I, I do miss a lot of it when when traveling to go hunting so anyway this past weekend we had our first ever daddy-daughter trip to the deer lease. And, and the girls have come to the lease plenty of times with me. Um, even have been in the blind when I shot a doe. But never without their brother. And Henry had a soccer game this past weekend. I had a ton of stuff I needed to do as far as getting a feeder set up. A needed a pop-up blind squared away for bow hunting, which the girls love brushing that in. But at the end of the weekend, I mean, they were just falling all over me saying, Dad, we just love you so much. Thanks for taking us to the lease without our brother. Uh, so, dads, y'all take your daughters. Uh, get them involved. Take them hunting. Take them fishing. Hell, take them on a picnic. Just get outdoors with them. Uh, I didn't realize how much it would mean to my girls. And they're five. I guess I should have. I should have known better. But uh, I'm going to make it a point to do more activities outdoors with just them uh, of course still take their brother all the time too but he was a little jealous uh but him and his mom had a had a good weekend and i think he uh i think he got to go to top golf as a consolation prize so um anyway what's on the docket for today let me tell you about it because i'm really excited uh, off the top we're going to be joined by ben cassidy he is the director of government affairs for Safari Club International, SCI, our new title sponsor. And so we're going to find out a little bit about the history behind SCI, where it was from its inception to where it is today. Uh, what type of things are they placing significant importance on? Meaning, is it just all African stuff? Or are they doing things here domestically in North America as well? Um I think there's some misconceptions there. And uh, Ben will tell us a little bit about all the great things that they have going on. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about his hunting background as well. But generally speaking, who is SCI? What is their mission statement? And how do they go about implementing that mission? Uh, so we're going to get into all of that with Ben coming up in a minute. Then we'll recap my 2020 archery elk hunt there were highs there were lows and there was opportunity and you know chama new mexico that region is very special it's got a great elk herd 
and you'd think the third week of September, they'd be all fired up. Jared Robinson, my guide and owner of Trifecta Outdoors, this is my first time actually bow hunting with an outfitter. Uh, so that was different for me, and, and not in a bad way at all. Um, I would certainly go back with Trifecta, but Jared's a longtime outfitter, and we're going to get into all things archery elk hunting and let you guys share in, I wish I could say, my success this uh, this fall, but it was more like sharing my failure. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're transparent to a fault around these parts. But anyway, uh, archery elk coming up with Jared Robinson of Trifecta Outdoors momentarily. Uh, that's what's on the docket for today. Gonna be a good one. A couple other things. Actually, I guess just one other thing. Let's do a quick giveaway. How about a Lone Star Outdoors show Cypher trucker cap from First Light, a longtime apparel sponsor. And we'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoors show sticker as well. Just email the word. How about just elk? That's elk to Lone Star Outdoors show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into today's First Light giveaway. Let's take a break. Up next, we're joined by Director of Government Affairs for SCI. Ben Cassidy drops by on the Lone Star Outdoors show. The grass is cool. We lost our mind. Sharing secrets and a bottle of wine. There's a night of cotton dress. Giving. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Don't get me wrong, I bet we'd have a good time. I'm sure we'd really make that music prime. I'll break her heart if she don't set me free. Don't go expecting too much of Expect too much. The name of that one from Eric Beatty, uh, former in-studio guest right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show powered by SCI. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks to Lone Star Beer as always, our longtime presenting sponsor. Thanks to y'all for being a part of today's presentation. Uh, we are all set to really get going here with Safari Club International as uh, SCI is our new title sponsor, and their director of government affairs, Ben Cassidy, is about to uh, make his debut on the show. But before we get into that conversation, this segment 
Brought to you by Vortex Optics and the new Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series. Just took mine out to, actually to the deer lease last weekend when I took the girls. And most people wouldn't think that you would use a spotting scope for whitetail. Uh, probably associate it more with western big game. But, man, there is a high point on our lease. And about this time every year, you can see these bucks bachelored up. It's like clockwork. They're always on this ridge in the afternoon. So whipped out that Diamondback HD. And although I didn't find anything that really got my blood pumping, there were a few nice uh, young bucks, up-and-comers for next year or the year after that I was able to watch. And the Diamondback HD series, great quality optic at an affordable price. You can get into one for, I think, 500 bucks, 499. It's the Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series from Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. All right, well, let's bring him on right now, uh, making his first, hopefully of many, appearances on the program. It's my pleasure to welcome SCI's Director of Governmental Affairs, Ben Cassidy. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Cable, for having me. Good to be here. My pleasure, buddy. So uh, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't know if you're a big hunter or not, but I'd uh, like to get to know you a little bit before segueing into your responsibilities at SCI. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thanks again for, for having me on and giving me a chance to, to talk about Safari Club International and everything that we're up to. Again, I'm Ben Cassidy. I'm, I'm Director of Government Affairs over at SCI. Um, so I oversee our our international, our federal, our state and local, and our legal advocacy efforts. Um, I came on to SCI after working in hunting policy for you know well over a decade um, over at uh, the National Rifle Association, where I was a federal lobbyist, and then over at Department of uh, Interior, uh, where I worked in external affairs, um, working with all the different uh, sportsmen's groups. Mm -hmm. So I came on board here at SCI uh, a little over a year ago, um, but I've been involved with SCI, you know, since since before I, I started my official job, you know, as a chapter volunteer, um, as a community partner, a government par partner. So it's awesome to be on board now as an employee. Um, asked if I hunt, absolutely. Don't think I'd be in this space if I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, complete labor of love, luckiest man alive every day. I work, work with the best people on the best issues. And it's a fight that needs to be fought. So, um, yeah, so over at SCI, for folks that are listening in, um, getting to know us, you know, organization of 50,000 members uh, spread out all over the planet, um, obviously with a heavy, strong footprint in um, in the USA. Uh, we're international hunters, but hunters at heart, you know, so it, it's, it's local hunting, it's overseas hunting, it's all of the above. Um, we've got, you know, our, our team, our headquarters for advocacy in uh, D.C., uh, basically have a hunter's embassy there. That's over near the Capitol, in the shadow of the Capitol, uh, where we've got, you know, policy experts on hand. Uh, we've got our in-house attorneys. Uh, and then we've got, you know, uh, wildlife biologists and experts just in general on, on, on wildlife and, and, and hunting law. So mm -hmm. um, we've got, a, you know, a newish, newish, I say, CEO who came on board, uh, Laird Hamberlin. Uh, he's been involved, you know, with SCI as a volunteer for you know, multiple decades, I want to say 40 years. So I want to age him, though. Uh, but <laughs> successful businessman who came on board um you know another one that's labor of love just loves our mission and loves the organization so he's been doing great things really you know focusing us in on uh you know our four pillars of uh, advocacy conservation communications and of course 
our big incredible convention uh that we had every year uh in the first quarter so yeah that's yeah. really us in a, in a in a little bit of a nutshell right right and i haven't ever i've, I've never been to the uh, sci convention that's going to change this year which um awesome. it's taking place it's back in vegas um and uh, yeah i'm looking forward to that i've only heard good things about it um so yeah, uh, it's awesome. You know, our tagline's with the, the ultimate uh, sportsman's marketplace. We just finished a couple of years in Reno. Now we're going to be celebrating um, SCI's 50th anniversary this next year in Las Vegas. And we're going to have it again in Las Vegas where we celebrate our 50th convention. Um, and then we're going to be taking the show on the road where we head over to, to Nashville for a few years, um, Indianapolis, and then New Orleans. So excited to kind of take the show on the road and meet sportsmen all, all over um, yeah it, it's it's awesome um it's a big party it's the best place you, you can go to to you know f- find that hunt of, hunt of a lifetime and just catch up with friends um i've been a few times as an employee and as a volunteer so i'm excited to, to get back in the saddle next uh february uh 2021 the first week of february yeah well so so take us back to the beginning you mentioned uh 50th anniversary so when was the club founded and then out of what necessity was it sprung from? Yeah, so 71 uh, founded in California and Los Angeles. And then over time, different chapters popped up around the country and it, it grew. Um, but it was uh, founded, you know, by, by a number of um, diehard staunch hunters. Um, a, lo- a lot of folks that, you know, were, were going overseas. Um Gives the name Safari and International, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 the, so those are the roots. And then over time, it, it grew beyond, you know, just being, say, a club um, in, in that sense to being, you know, a, a larger grassroots member-driven organization, uh, you know, with close to 200 chapters, um, you know, very involved in their communities. Um, it's unique with our chapters in that, you know, they send 30% uh, to our nationals um, from what they raise over the course of the year from their banquets, but the rest stays um, with their chapter mm-hmm. for, for local conservation projects or for conservation projects that they see um, as priorities uh, for their membership. Um, so it's got a, a cool um, footprint Safari Club does of, you know, being involved all over the world in the fights, but also in the backyard. Um, kind of gives us a, a unique twist. Yeah. Well, I think we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years a lot of the conservation organizations that do not give back to the local communities have, uh, yeah. they've fallen flat on their faces. And you know, people will, they got tired of it. And you've seen offshoots of various organizations spring up that are more focused on putting dollars back into the, uh, the area where they're raised, and, and they should be. You know, people yep. want to see the fruits of their labor, and if they're throwing money at something, um, for it to all go back to some bank account in D.C. or or otherwise, people got fed up with that. So this trend is one that, you know, we've kind of seen across the board, and, and I think for good reason. As far yeah, not as to simplify it either. It's just, you know, um, it's that, that land that you use is the land that you love, yeah. you know? So yeah. people want to see that their backyard taken care of, and not yeah, just shipped off, you know, mm-hmm. for somebody else to make a decision on it. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about record keeping. You know, historically, it's been a big part of what SCI does, which I think often carries a, an unjustified negative stigma. You know, scoring and recording 
an animal's output is an invaluable tool for measuring the success of conservation efforts and wildlife management. You know, you can go back 30 years and, and look in this area and say, okay, this animal scored this. Now here we are looking at it today. How does it stack up? I don't think people really connect the dots there. They think it's just, uh, hey, we're just, you know, shot a great animal. Let's uh, let's record its score and talk about how how great of a hunter we are. Right, and of course, there's always like the the you know side of wanting to celebrate, you know, um, what you've accomplished. But yeah, like like you point to, I mean, if you look at just over all the years that we've had the record book and compiled, I mean, it's scientific data, right, mm-hmm. on 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 different health of species. Um, and that, that's really, you know, over years compiled and it's actually, um, a useful tool, um, uh, for scientists, for wildlife biologists, um, uh, to be able to, to, you know, understand, um, where, where there are needs, where things are working. Um, I think, it, yeah, I think it's testament to, uh, the record book is to, to the incredible, um, golden age that we're living in, you know, mm-hmm. with species. Um, I think people, um, kind of see a lot of things through doom and gloom lenses these days. But if you look at it from a hunter's perspective, you know, just let's talk about domestically, um, the, the population of deer and, and turkey and elk that are out there now. You know, I was talking to folks in Tennessee the other day, you know, longtime sportsmen. Like, did you ever think as a kid that you'd be spotting an elk in Tennessee? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, but I mean, that's the way it is now. So, uh, yeah, just, just crazy to, to think about and think it gets missed a lot of the time. But, that really goes back to our management practices um, and hunters being, you know, the central tool in that North American model, um, how we've, we, we've built our system off of it. Yeah, and the North American conservation model is the only one that has proven to be effective in the modern world. Uh, you know, Africa is doing a great job of emulating what we've done over the past 120 years here in North America. Um, we do need to take a quick break. I've got a couple tougher questions for you, Ben, regarding, you know, the evolution of SCI. So are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Yeah, of course. Good deal. And that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it, whether that's for hunting, fishing, recreating, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Lone Star Ag Credit has been doing this for over 100 years. If you're ready to take that plunge and make that dream a reality as far as acquiring your own property, then give them a shout. You can find them at LoneStarAtCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from SCI's Director of Governmental Affairs, Ben Cassidy, on the Lone Star Outdoors There's show. There's no fortune at the end of the road that has no end. There's no returning to the spoils once you spoil the thought of them. There's no falling back to sleep once you wait. Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coon Stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. 
Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Well, sometimes the bottle is bigger than me. I go full Ferrado, and I'll be three sheets to the wind, and I'll pay tomorrow. Handle, on my handle, the name of that one from Aubrey Lynn, bringing us back. On SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today as we're about to continue our conversation with SCI's Director of Governmental Affairs, Ben Cassidy. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by First Light's Catalyst System, perfect for the southern whitetail hunter. With a simple merino base layer, the Catalyst is going to keep you warm when temperatures get cold, like into the lower 40s. And... It's extremely wind resistant, which I absolutely love, and uh, water resistant as well. Not waterproof, but you know, if as long as you're not in a deluge, uh, it's going to keep you dry. It's rugged enough to thwart thorns and briars, all that stuff, and also quiet, which is of the utmost importance. That stealth mode, you know, if you're bow hunting, goes without saying. Check it out. It's the Catalyst jacket and pants. You can find it at FirstLight.com. FirstLight, go further. Stay longer with that being said let's pick it back up with ben here and ben you know i lobbed you some softballs uh before the break here's a tougher one for you as far as the evolution of sei why is the club distanced from the original name safari club international and i you know i have an opinion on on it myself but uh what's your take on that well i i don't think yeah that's a good question um you know it was founded um, obviously by, by a smaller group. And over time it grew beyond just being, you know, small group to this all encompassing mission. I mean, really that tagline that really stands out, you know, for me, it was a big part in, you know, me deciding that, you know, I wanted to, to be on the team and come work at SCI was that tagline of first for hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it all comes down to, to sound management and conservation and that North American model I was talking about and that working. And that applies to, you know, if you're talking about big iconic species over in Africa, or again, you're talking about, you know, turkey populations or mule deer populations. Um, it can be applied any, anywhere across the board when it comes to conservation. I think that's one of America's greatest exports, you know, is that model that, yeah. that's, that, that's um, replicated overseas. So I think with, you know, my SCI, it's shorter, it's easier to say, sure. um, but it also better encompasses just the broader mission that that we have yeah 
Well, and I think, you know, we'll call a spade a spade. Going back to the early years, a lot of people think that it's just a good old boy fraternity of, of wealthy folks who, you know, hunt internationally. So to me, when I just hear SCI, it seems more all-inclusive. And and I know the club has, um, and this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to, to be able to come on board as well, was the focus on North America. It isn't just international. It's you guys are doing work here domestically all over the country, uh, Canada as well. And I think that's very important because there are a lot of people, a lot of hunters who will never uh, set foot on African soil, but they'll damn sure be chasing elk and mule deer out west every fall. And so yep. that's that's more important to them than Africa ever could be. And so that's why I think it's, uh, you know, that inclusivity, something that I think most hunters will gravitate to. Yeah, no, that, um, that's great to hear too, Cable. I mean, it, it's really what, what drew me to, to working at SCI. So when I was at Department of Interior, you know, I'd work with all these incredible uh, organizations that are doing great work, you know, for, for species and habitat. But the one thing that really stood out with SCI was they always led with, you know, they were, they were you know, out there supporting, defending the hunter, you know? So there's like a group out there for every species, iconic species you can think of, you know, whether it's ducks or elk or deer. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't any that was just like, we're here for the hunter, you know? And don't get me wrong, like, I want to see all the, the, the access and healthy wildlife and healthy wild, uh, you know, wild places that there can be. But if there isn't a hunter in the system, it's a broken system. So having a group like SCI that's really in there fighting for the hunter, defending the hunter in our lifestyle, um, is crucial. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that, that that's, that's where the fight is, and that's, that's where um, we can make progress. So that, that's really what, what we're focused on here at SCI. Yeah. Well, and i got to give you know, the, the club credit because it's, uh, sometimes organizations can get set in their ways. But if you don't evolve, you get left behind. And so SCI clearly has uh, embraced change. And, and I think that, that uh, that's certainly a positive characteristic from a, from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we've got an incredible membership, um, you know, that, that um, really drives our decisions and really gives us, you know, the strength in numbers um, that helps us get, get the job done. Um, so we want to be able to you know, take all of the, the, those different varying priorities and all drill down to the same thing, you know, that's preserving our heritage um, and just being there to defend them. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the four pillars. As far as the advocacy is concerned, um, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, again, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on the fight on, on a global scale. Um, we've got, you know, Folks in Brussels, we have folks in D.C., we've got, you know, uh, boots on the ground all over the planet. Um, really member-driven um, grassroots program. I'm really proud of, you know, what's taken off over you know, the course of the last year. Uh, we have a Hunter Advocacy Action Center um, that uh, it's our grassroots tool for informing our members on, you know, what the different legislative battles out there are mm-hmm. and how they can, you know, make a difference, be in touch directly with the different, you know, elected officials or decision makers uh, that need to hear the voice from the hunter. And we've grown it, you know, over the, the last year from, from having no folks to, you know, being tens of thousands of, of folks and really um, 
seen it turn on and make a difference. Um, really proud of, you know, the work that our members did over the course of the summer. Um, you know, at, in, in the in the late spring, we normally have a big fly-in where our really active members, you know, come into Washington, D.C., and we storm the hill and they go and knock on doors and talk about all of our priorities with congressmen and senators and their staff. Uh, but obviously, with the pandemic and everything, it, um, that was canceled. And so we pivoted to doing it uh, virtually, you know, mm-hmm. um, and ended up being a really strong pivot. We had much more engagement than we would have had in the past. Um, what we ended up doing was having, you know, over Zoom, like webcast, um, we'd have on some of these different, you know, champions in the Senate, like Steve Daines from Montana or, or Corey Gardner, you know, from, from, um, from Colorado. Um, talk to us about, you know, the big issues going on for sportsmen. And one thing that was happening over the course of the summer was the Great American Outdoors Act, you know, which was signed into law by President Trump. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, it, it was just introduced in the Senate and it's working its way through and needed support, you know, from from sportsmen to, to be able to get through. And what it, it was, was, you know, largest investment, you know, in generations in conservation, um, you know, permanent funding for land water conservation fund and um uh, the biggest um, investment in tackling um, deferred maintenance or all the, the broken down properties on national parks, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, BLM land. Uh, so huge investment, critical for, for hunters, really just great opportunities to open up more access and fix up all of our, you know, broken blinds and uh, boat launches. Uh, so during that week, you know, we, we heard from the senators and then we, we pivoted to, to really using our grassroots tool, this Hunter Action Advocacy Center, and ended up getting, you know, 7,000 different correspondences, you know, between our members and, and senators, uh, ended up passing with a really healthy vote out of the Senate, went to the House where we pushed really hard on it again, um, ended up passing out of the House, and then, you know, was signed into law by President Trump. And he invited uh, Safari Club to be there. Our CEO Laird was there for a small signing um, with the senators and just something really big to celebrate, you know, that we yeah. saw over that summer. Um, another cool thing that we did was, you know, we heard directly from the Department of the Interior about a proposal uh, to open up, you know, 2.3 million uh, new acres of, of access for hunting and fishing, um, opportunities and access that didn't exist before. You know, just that was building on uh, previous two years where their, the Fish and Wildlife Service had opened up access. So that was just music to our ears. We love the proposal, obviously. Um, so we used that advocacy week to to um, work with our members to send in comments directly to Interior, giving support. So they weren't just hearing from the other side saying, don't allow hunting, you know. So, so we stood up for it and ended up getting a final rule um, that's, that's now, you know, in place uh, that was reflective of what we'd asked for. Um, it opened up 2.3 million. Now we're at, you know, 4.3 million acres that have been opened up for, uh, from fish and wildlife or yeah, fish and wildlife properties, um, since, uh, since Trump took office. So, well, Dan, if you the, listen then, to the, uh, you know, mainstream media, they think Trump is the worst thing for conservation ever. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't get it. I mean, I, and whether you, who, no matter who you vote for this, uh, November, I mean, there's groups out there, sportsmen for Biden, and I'm just like, all they're doing is bashing Trump and saying he's just terrible for conservation. I've, I just haven't seen it personally. Um, so. Yeah, the other thing I see with like the sportsmen for Biden is like they listed out their priorities, and one of them, you know, is open up more access. 
like, okay, that's a good priority, but somebody actually just did that. Right. Hasn't really left any access on the table for you to open up. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. am I going to go with the, you know, that list or the person that's doing it? Um, but yeah, I mean, I was at Interior and working under Secretary Zinke and Secretary Bernhardt. I'm extremely proud of, you know, the work that they've Secretary done. Secretary Zinke, um, former guest of the show. Love that guy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now I'm humbled. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a man. I'm, I'm sure he had good stories about hunting animals and, and, and humans. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Got, well, we didn't get into the human part, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's a seal. He probably couldn't disclose any of it either, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, 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 he's the best. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just the work under them, just with this Great American Outdoors Act, the Dingle Act, these are two of the largest pieces of legislation. When I was at NRA working with the Sportsman's Coalition, it's all we would ask for were for these priorities to be knocked off a list that was 10 years old. Nobody had done anything. And finally, you know, go in, and all these things got taken off, put into law. I mean, they just checked the box. You put the list in front of them. Um, it's been incredible. I know that yeah. Secretary Zinke and, you know, uh, Secretary Bernhardt, they carry with them, they would carry with them, you know, the list of priorities from sportsmen and say, okay, um, what do you want? You want more access? We're on it. First thing that Zinke did was sign an executive order saying it's going to prioritize access, you know, put the entire department to work on doing that. And you'd seen it. I mean, the results there, 4.3 million acres, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um Across the board, you know, bipartisan conservation. Just get some money into LWCF, make it permanent, so it's not a political football. Yeah, done, done deal. And that's been talked about since 1985, when Reagan put a commission together. You know, with Lamar Alexander, who's then the governor of um, Tennessee and became senator of Tennessee, heading it up. Um, it took all these years, and finally, you know, had somebody that was able to, to break the logjam and get it signed. Um, you know, yeah. with people across the spectrum. I mean, you had. Nancy Pelosi and Steve Scalise, you know, supporting a lot of these things at the same time. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was bipartisan, which is amazing to see in today's political climate. So at least uh, folks were able to put their pettiness and and differences aside for uh, the greater good when it comes to conservation and, and hunting and fishing. Um, yeah, let's talk about grants. What does SCI put back into the conservation initiative or you know, putting their their money where their mouth is, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our entire foundation, our SCI foundation, um, is focused in on on conservation and in um, you know putting grants in. Um, so we we've, we've got them at the national level, and then like we were mentioning before, we have each of our chapters that's involved directly with conservation on the ground. So there's kind of two levels of it. A lot of the times, it's finding ways that we can all you know, work together. Um, a lot of the times it's the people on the ground that, that, that know um, what work needs being done. So we want to play, you know, that sort of complementing role. Um, but, you know, whether it's, you know, leopard studies over in Africa or it's, you know, mule deer up in Canada, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just we're, we're, we're involved wherever, wherever the need is. Um, obviously, chronic wasting disease, you know, is a huge priority being involved there um but yeah i mean the 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 thing with 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 sci is you know and with the grant process a lot of times you've got the grants that are going out there um that you know a state can get but they don't have the bodies to do it so we've always have as you know sci you know all the volunteers who are, who are eager to be able to be the implementers mm-hmm. um, so always looking for for those opportunities i mean 
like over the last couple of years, um, Interior has has been giving out grants um, for for Western corridors for migration corridors for, for big game. Um, you know, we're always seeing you know if they're going to, to you know the folks in Idaho, uh, we've got really active members in Idaho. Put us to work. Let us help implement you know that grant that was received to make sure that it it gives the greatest benefit to to where it's going. As we're wrapping things up, if someone out there listening wants to become a member or they want to get plugged in with a, a local chapter, uh, what's the best resource uh, for that? Yeah, it's just old school, safariclub.org, safariclub.org. Um, right there is is where you sign up to become a member, where you can look up, you know, where your local chapter is. Uh, you can join a chapter and join national. Um, try to make it as, as easy as possible. Um, we've got a really great, you know, membership team in place um so yeah i mean trying to make it as easy as possible but uh we'd love to have anybody and everybody on board um for what lays ahead um really excited about just the different opportunities um you kind of just see uh more and more members of congress and state officials that want to get involved in our issues um over the course of the last year with the shutdowns and everything we've seen new folks that are going out and you know buying firearms and wanting to find ways to use them uh, and opportunities out there uh, I like to think of our our membership as you know 50,000 members but also 50,000 mentors um, folks that you know can help introduce the outdoors to folks that, that haven't been out before um, but yeah we try to make it as easy as possible to join uh, just like going to safariclub.org yeah well that's the covid uh, silver lining is more people have have been taking to the uh, the woods or to the river here over the last six months or so than, than any time in, in recent history. And, and my friend uh, Kevin Harlander over at First Light, he, he mentioned that Idaho always have, they, they always have extra over-the-counter deer and, and elk tags like that residents can buy. You can get a second elk tag or second mule deer tag. Mm-hmm. They, th- they sold out of those in like 48 hours. And he said usually you can pick them up like right before the season starts. So like m- months later. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's what I was saying too. Just for like turkey season, like in the state of New York, you know, folks are telling me that they had more people take hunter ed um, for turkey season than they'd had, you know, in the previous complete year. You know, mm-hmm. so just that sort of excitement and just, you know, outside of our bubble, you know, new folks that that are interested, people just, that are interested in, you know providing for themselves, picking up a new hobby, do-it-yourselfers, you know. Uh, well, we welcome like, them uh, all. That's field the, the fork. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they'll stick around once life uh, returns to some sense of normalcy, whatever that may be, remains yeah. to be seen. But Hunting uh, um, has, has, has a way of um, not letting you go, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> Uh, as far as the uh, the convention, give us the dates real quick on that, and uh, I'm sure there's a hotel block. Folks can find information at uh, on the website for that. Yeah, um, kicks off on the 4th of February, 2021, Las Vegas. Um, all the the info for for buying your ticket, you know, it, it's members only, um, so it's you you buy your ticket with your membership. Um, we've got all the hotel reservation information and all the, the course of events, you know, lined up um, on our website. But yeah, kicks off Thursday. Saturdays are 
our big banquet. Um, really excited to have uh, Tucker Carlson joining us as our as our uh, keynote speaker that night. I think a lot of folks will want to tune in for for that. Oh, uh, absolutely. A lot more. Yeah. <laughs> He should have a lot to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, cool deal. Well, hey, uh, Ben, I, I certainly appreciate the time today. It's been great getting to know you and, and talking uh, about SCI, which, uh, like I said, I'm so um, blessed to be partnered up with. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, we love having you on the team. I can't wait to, to meet up in person in, in Vegas. Um, Maybe next time I'm out in Texas. It's my first year. I haven't been out to Texas all year. I've got my, my family in San Antonio and in Austin and normally out there, you know, chasing pigs or right. or something. But <laughs> I just haven't happened yet this year. <laughs> well, no rest for the weary, man. Right. All right, Ben. Well, hey, thanks again. Look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Likewise. Thanks, Cable. Really appreciate it. Enjoy thanks. the rest of your day. So there he goes, Ben Cassidy, Director of Government Affairs for SCI. Great stuff there. And as I've mentioned, super excited to be on board with SCI. Uh, thrilled to, to have them as a focal point of the Lone Star Outdoors show going forward. That segment was brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Uh, going back to last weekend when I took the Twinkies out to the Deerleys for a little father daughter weekend um we sat in the big chingon and we had so much room it was absolutely amazing actually we sat in the big chingon because uh, i just put the feeder up there uh 600 pounds stand and fill also from all seasons shameless plug there but uh, we sat in the little chingon because it already had a, a feeder going and uh shot a hog which the girls thought was awesome tons of room even in the little chingon for all three of us and it's got carpet, cup holders, shelves for snacks, which is imperative for a couple of five-year-olds. It's got everything. Windows for both rifle or archery. You can customize it however you want it. It's the little chingon. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Coming up next, we head out to Chama, New Mexico, to recap a failed elk hunting expedition, but one that I won't soon forget. We discussed the highs and lows and the incredible elk hunting region that is Chama, New Mexico. Jared Robinson of Trifecta Outdoors, my guide and friend, joins us on the One Star Outdoors Show. A little bit of love won't fix. It ain't nothing but a scratch. A little bit of love can stitch. It ain't nothing. Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer least or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give them a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. 
Visit BobcatofDallas.com today. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I don't know which Van Halen tune is the greatest of all time, but that one's got to be up there. Rip Eddie Van Halen, gone at 65, one of the greatest guitarists of all time. And it's not like Van Halen was my favorite band, but man, I sure played a lot of their music uh, growing up. And, and even today, it's hard not to crank up the volume when a Eddie Van Halen guitar rip comes on. Uh, anyway, rest in peace, Eddie. Um, we are about to visit with Jared Robinson, my friend and outfitter, a longtime New Mexico elk and mule deer outfitter from the Chama area. But before we recap the recent week that we spent together in the backcountry, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. They've got locations in San Antonio and Marion, which is just outside of New Braunfels. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for damn near a decade, maybe longer. I don't know. It's been forever. And there's a reason for that. I trust them. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time. No waiting two years to get your whitetail buck back. Uh, And they answer the phone when you call. To see some of their work, you can go to their website, which is just gr8mounts.com. All right. Well, let's bring him on right now. A uh, longtime New Mexico outfitter. And after a week spent chasing bugles together, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend as well. Jared Robinson of Trifecta Outdoors. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it was uh, good to hunt with you and looking forward to talking about it. Absolutely. So uh, have you been able to catch your breath now that archery season is officially over in New Mexico? I got a little bit of a break and straight back out scouting, getting ready for rifle season. (laughs) (laughs) No rest for the weary. Uh, How long have you been outfitting elk specifically? Um, I started outfitting elk in 2011 was my first year. Before that, I did, uh, I guided for about 10 years on, on public land, on mostly state land, uh, the wildlife areas. Uh-huh. And some in the in the national forests, and, you know, 51 and 52. And then in 2010, I got my outfitter's license and started doing uh, my own mix of private land and public land hunts. Right, and that you mentioned the state wildlife areas. It's interesting because that's actually uh, closed to guys like me. Yeah, it was in 2010, I believe. That's when I made my move to. Uh, get my outfitter's licenses, they uh, passed a law and closed the the state wildlife areas to non-residents, and that was most of my clientele, so mm-hmm. I uh, had to move my, kind of change my operation the way I did things. And Yeah. Yeah, well, and it was about that time that they, I think it was some guys like in southern New Mexico, specifically the, the Gila area, got all pissy about uh, non-resident outfitters and even tried to like block them from being able to operate in New Mexico. Yeah, it was the same rule change that came from uh, 
it came from a lot of pressure from resident hunters saying they weren't getting their share of the tags and that there was non-resident outfitters that were outfitting in New Mexico that they thought it should only be for residents. And uh, they actually passed that law at the state level. And then most of the law was repealed through court because it's illegal to, uh, to interfere with interstate commerce. And then out-of-state outfitters are out, are, we're outfitting on national forests, not state land. Mm-hmm. So, Which they own. Uh, I own, you own, we all own it. So you can't tell an out-of-stater exactly. that they can't go to a, a, a national forest and use that resource however they see fit under the letter of the law. And it seems like that was a pretty obvious no-go there from the beginning. Um, yeah, but I'm kind of surprised they tried it, but it's it's good that we have courts to sort that stuff out when, when yeah. they do. Yeah. Get it wrong. Well, a mutual friend of ours, Jason Cow, he introduced us um, at the uh, it was a Texas Trophy Hunter show, I guess last summer, since they were all canceled this year due to COVID. Um, but we figured it'd be a great opportunity for us to get together and and for me to try something different and actually archery elk hunt with a guide for the first time. All my uh, bow hunting experience has been on on public land without a guide. Uh, so this was something that I was excited about to be able to to learn from someone with uh, years and seasons of of more experience than I have. Um, you do still do a mix of private and public. So, for example, you ask your your hunters to put in for the draw. If they draw, then you can you can hunt in the uh, I guess the Carson National Forest there. Uh, if you don't, then you have a bunch of private land leased. Um, to uh, to outfit them on, but the the cool thing is, is the price goes down significantly if you do draw because you don't have to pay for the landowner tag. Yeah, that's correct. Well, that, the Carson is pretty big forest. I've I've hunted uh, mule deer in that unit unsuccessfully, uh, but I mean it goes all the way from the Chama area to uh, I mean where I was I was like up around Red River and Taos even it's a massive forest. Yeah, it takes in several game management units in New Mexico. It goes all the way from uh, all from about a half hour east of Farmington all the way, like you said, to Red River in that area. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a beautiful country. So what would uh, – well, and we also decided to do the third week of September, which that was also a first for me. Um, you know, I've drawn the New Mexico tags – I think that New Mexico does it a little bit weird in that it's not just one archery tag for all of September. It used to be, but now it's split into right. two different weeks. So you got the first and second week, and then the, I guess the third and fourth week. So kind of weird on that on that front. Yeah, I, I liked it better when it was the, the whole month because personally I like to hunt that middle part of the month from like the 12th to the 18th right in there. Uh-huh. That's one of my favorite times to hunt, and the way they broke it up, you kind of have to choose after the 14th or before the 14th, and it, yeah, you know, every year the rut is different, so it's hard to, it's hard to choose, not knowing what the weather and everything is going to be like for the next year. Yeah. Well, historically, I mean, people talk about Chama as being a, a great place to elk hunt, just lots of elk. Um, what, why is Chama such a? Why do they have such a, a great resource there, as far as the number of elk and the quality of elk? 
I think the big reason why is because the population, you know, has not increased. I think the population here has actually decreased steadily since the 80s. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it's uh, there's a close proximity of, of high country and uh, low country where the elk can move freely and migrate back and forth. And uh, I think that that tends to help the herd grow a lot. And also just the amount of, of feed that they have on a normal year. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the management of private properties. There's some big ranches that do a really good job of managing their herds. And we get, you know, we're like all feeder ranches out of those. So, mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, I would consider the amount of uh, rutting activity that we saw to be pretty good. But when I asked you about it, you're like, this is this is not what I would expect for the third week of September. So what was going on there? Um, it seemed like this year that the elk started rutting later. Uh -huh. I don't know if it was due to the extreme drought or just... Oh, it was dry. Yeah, super, yeah, super was, dry. Probably it'll go down as the driest August and September on record. Hmm. But... uh. Do you think that had them out of their normal routine? It seemed to have them out of their normal routine. Feed was scarce and in different areas than they're used to. And, uh, you know, we were hunting on the Carson National Forest on the 15th and 16th and still seeing bulls in bachelor groups, which is really strange. Hmm. You know, it... Even in like states as far north as Idaho, I, I was reading a bunch of reports, and a lot of people said that the they didn't really see a, a, a very hard rut this year, for whatever reason. I don't know. Sometimes you just get a trickle rut, and uh, maybe the scientists, wildlife biologists, can you know figure it out or provide more insight than you and I could, just speculating on it. Um, but certainly seemed like for me not ever having experienced the third week, I, I thought, oh man, this is great. We're hearing bugles every day. Um, but for, for someone who's lived there and hunted there for 20 years, it's like, eh, this isn't that great. Um, that being said, I mean, first morning we, we have a bull, we can't ever see him, but he's like 60 yards inside some brush and just hammering away every time you're calling to him. And, um, not sure if he winded us or what, but I thought we were off to a pretty good start there. And, we had activity on on I think every every hunt every time we walked into the woods. Yeah, we uh, we had a lot of good activity and like I said, the difference that I saw this year for the third week of September, and we did end up having a few encounters that that were typical of this time of year, mm -hmm. but usually. You know, it, the bulls come much more aggressively to a call, and that's what we weren't seeing at the beginning of our hunt. We were seeing them working slowly and cautiously and a lot of calling back and forth, but they weren't really committing to coming into the call. Yeah. They were hanging up. It was making it difficult. Although on the third day, we left, kind of went to a different area, and uh, it was, I think, the biggest property that we hunted and we put 11 miles on the on the boots that day and i i think this one was probably my favorite like hunt as far as how it played out um and it was like 10 a.m and we hadn't we'd seen elk sign on this place just hadn't heard any bugles and 
you bugled. No, actually, you cow called, Jared. That's what it was. And yeah. from across this canyon, I mean, a long ways away, we hear we hear a bull fire off. And then it's like, okay, now how do we get to him and set up a plan to to kill him? So we had to make a pretty a pretty wide loop around there to come up above him, and uh, we get over there and. Throughout that walk, it probably took us 45 minutes to get over there. You know, you call every once in a while just to make sure he's not coming towards us. You don't want to get caught with your pants down. And he seems like he's still kind of in the same place. And where you would expect to find a big bull bedded down on a, on a north-facing slope, dark timber. So, I mean, isn't that where you would expect to find one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he he played the part there. Uh and we get over to that ridge and get set up, and I'm behind a, a big cedar tree with the shooting lane to my left and to my right, and you called one time, and here he comes hauling ass over that ridge like you'd expect him to do that time of year. And for whatever reason, I mean, you said you you saw it play out, and uh, he just he boogered up. Yeah, he actually, from our experiences before that, on, on our hunts before that, like I said, the bulls were being a little more shy, a little more cautious coming in. And so we set up on this bull with that in mind, and he actually came straight in very aggressive and just kind of blew past you where you didn't have a shot Yeah. and came straight to me. So. And that's when he winded. I guess he winded us at that point. And yeah. Yeah, that was, that was all she wrote for him. But that was, I mean, that was a cool experience where here he came 100% pot committed aggressively and only and you only cow called that was i think i think that was the only time that happened when was just a cow call um, right yeah but man he was he was all fired up over it um one other interesting thing about that area and you told me this and, and i didn't realize that the, the elk had been basically extirpated or over hunted out of the chama area and that it's the you know it's been a a reintroduction process and that's the elk that we see today correct yeah um i believe it's in the 1960s they started bringing some elk from yellowstone into the san juan mountains in southern colorado just north of chama and turning them loose and from the growth of that herd we got a lot coming down into chama and then we also had a lot of escapees from some high fence ranches back in those days uh, there was one in Chama, Chama Land and Cattle Company, and then the Hickory Apache also had a game park, and they had some escaped elk off of those areas, and they just, you know, over, you know, 20 years, they kind of, the population just blew up. Hmm. Yeah. And what what would you say is uh, on the upper end of a bull that, you know, everybody's like, oh, I want a 330-inch bull. Well, those aren't under every tree. So in that right. area, what's a good bull? A good bull in this area would be anything, you know, what we call a herd bull, which around in, in the Chama area, you're looking at a, a five, six, or seven-year-old bull. And those bulls that age around here will range from 290 to 330, so... I'm saying anything 280 and above is a good bull for this area. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you get, I mean, do you get people that say, no, I want something bigger. I don't want to hunt there then. 
yeah, we do get inquiries every year of people that, you know, they say, well, I, you know, I'm only going to do this once and I want to shoot a 350 bull. And I just tell them, you know, that's not really what we got here and I can recommend some places for you to go. Yeah, you tell them to put in for uh, Utah or Arizona. <laughs> yeah, I got some contacts in Nevada and uh-huh. you know, they can hunt. There's there's high fence places they can hunt and kill those kind of wolves. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, this was um it was something new for me from the standpoint of hunting private land. The it's not like the the national forest where you can just keep going and going and going and and so I think there's a lot more strategy that plays into it as far as, I mean, and, and you're the outfitter, you tell us, but you don't want to push these animals off of the property that you have access to. Correct. It takes a lot of, you know, and, and for me, that was one of the hardest things to learn as an outfitter when I was first starting to to guide on private property uh-huh. is because on public land, you know, especially during archery, the the game plan that's really su- successful is to follow them to their beds and then try to call the bull away from the cows in the bedding area. Mm-hmm. And I found out that on private land, the one intrusion that elk will not tolerate is you being in their bedding area. And so we got to kind of play the edges and we got to pick our moments when to be aggressive. And that takes a lot of experience and a lot of knowing the area. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, going back to public land, my mindset is I don't care if I blow them out of their bed. I'm going to go try to kill them, right? Um, exactly. And if you don't, you know, the next guy will. So right. You can be, you know, it pays to be much more aggressive on public land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like we're hunting the one property where I would end up shooting a bull, and there's more to that story. But it was only a 300 acre property, and I think we found ourselves there four out of the five evenings and every evening was like elk just and it usually was 20 minutes before dark but they were just going crazy and i had you know i'm skeptical you when i ask you because i'm always asking questions i'm like how big is this property oh it's about 300 acres i'm like okay i think i have automatically just got my my expectations lowered because it was a smaller property but that's where we (laughs) it was just like every time we stepped foot in there there was, you know, bugling going on and um, turned out to be a great property. And, and you pick these properties strategically. That one happened to be like a pinch point that went straight to the closest water in that area. Right. So we knew those 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 elk were traveling from, you know, in the, uh, in the evenings, the elk come down to feed and to water. And in the mornings, they go back up. So we knew we were catching them transitioning there to uh, to food and water. Yeah, and like you said, we hunted in there several times, and we actually bumped them the first couple times we were in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like you said, you'd think that, you know, they they might not be back, but the elk, like I said, they'll tolerate a lot more encounters in their transition and feeding areas than they will next to their bedding areas. Yeah. Well, and you had some other one one property that I was kind of uh, sad we never we never got to see was the Spike Camp. Uh, so you have a lodge there outside of Chama with you know bunks and uh, obviously beds and even a TV. 
we got to watch the Cowboy game, something I'm not used to during elk season. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm lucky to get a, a text out on the uh, the Garmin inReach, but here we are watching football. Um, so it was something. It was something new. It was luxurious for me, really. Uh, and then to have a hot meal every night instead of Mountain House and some kind of uh, bar, whether that's RX or um, Epic or whatever. But living on bars and Mountain House is a uh, That'll get to you after a few days. So this was a nice change of pace for sure. Yeah. Um, but but you had a spike camp too. That's where I was going with that. Um, that if you wanted more of the, you know, remote experience, you could go spend the week up there. And there were some guys up there. Um, but I guess that's more of a, a wall tent setup. Yeah, we have a, a couple wall tents, and you know the guide up there cooks and. It's uh, it's kind of a cool experience because you stay in the tent, you hunt from the tent on foot every morning. You know, there's not a lot of driving around, and it's it's up there about ten thousand five hundred feet in the aspens and the spruce, and mm-hmm. you get to experience you know that type of elk hunting up in the high country. And we were hunting a little bit lower for your hunt, and it just you know it, we try to scatter our properties so that you know, these different seasons and different years and conditions, we're sure to have elk somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you said, you even told me at the beginning of the week, we're going to be hunting a little more like urban elk. And some of that was necessitated by available feed. So a lot of these elk had already started to drop in elevation just because it was so dry that they wanted to uh, be closer in proximity to these uh, alfalfa fields, they'd be feeding in every night. That's right. Uh, a lot of these elk, you know, that's that was the the best feed available, and that's usually where you're going to find the cow elk, especially is wherever the best feed is. And this year, unfortunately, it was all the way down close to the towns and communities on the hay fields. Well, in those lower elevation properties, I know you lease them every year, but you don't really expect the elk to be there until October. November during rifle season. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do this, uh, Jared. Let's let's knock out a quick break here. We'll come back and get into the uh, the final two days of our hunt. When and I had a chance to seal the deal at sixty two yards. We'll discuss that next. Uh, that segment brought to you by Stealth Cam. Check out the new Fusion if you haven't already. Uh, I just put two out at the deer lease this past weekend. And when it comes to affordability and a user friendly interface you can't beat it i mean you literally take your cell phone scan a picture of the qr i think it's called a qr code on your camera and it picks it up on your app <laughs> it's that easy i'm not kidding it's the fusion and you can find it at stealthcam.com we'll be right back on sci's lone star outdoor show Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore Premium underscore Power Sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. 
With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. This is Randy Newberg with Federal Premiums Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. Thanks for listening to the Lone Outdoor TV show. <laughs> Radio show. Yeah, just the Lone Star Outdoor show. Randy Newberg here with Federal Premiums Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. She's putting on the red dress. Thank you, Randy Newberg. <laughs> One of the nicest guys in the uh, outdoor community, no doubt about that. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. We are talking elk hunting, specifically. Y'all know every year I, I recap my week that was spent in the backcountry chasing bugles. Whether we find success or fall flat on our face, we're going to give you a transparent recount of uh, what transpired. And we're doing that today with Trifecta Outdoors owner and my guide, uh, Jared Robinson, whom I had the pleasure of hunting with uh, two weeks ago. And we're going to pick it back up with Jared momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by SCI. I want to encourage you to go to safariclub.org. Consider becoming a member of a great organization that talks the talk, but also walks the walk when it comes to conservation and hunters' rights. For more info, like I said, just head over to safariclub.org. All right, well, jumping back into it with Jared Robinson of Trifecta Outdoors. You know, we talked a little bit about the uh, the rutting activity there in the Chama area on our hunt, third week of September. Day four rolls around, and things are starting to heat up a little bit more, Jared. We hunted a different property, a larger property that day, and uh, it seems like we had bulls firing off in every direction. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. And that day, you know, we had uh, four or five six bulls around us at one point, and, you know, they were after, you know, there was a little group of cows and maybe one hot cow in there, and that's that's all it takes, you know. And like I tell guys on the, on the public land, too, I mean, if you get in a situation where you think you should be hearing bugles and it's quiet, then just keep moving because all it takes is to find one herd that's hot and you can get into them. We had um, quite a few encounters that day. Well, one one up close encounter, but you know, like I said, bulls just everywhere. That evening, uh, very similar. We went back to the 300 acre property, got set up, and um, it just skirted around. We had two or three bulls run by that, as they're headed to water, just were too far to get a shot at and, and couldn't couldn't be stopped. You know, they were busy. They had cows with them. Um, but uh, the last day we went back to uh, back to where we'd left those bulls the uh, on, on the fourth day of our hunt, and they were all fired up again. But I don't know what we did wrong on that day. 
Um, but it seems like we were just chasing them down the mountain. And that was, uh, I know you were pissed about it and it, it was certainly a little bit, you know, disappointing, but sometimes that's the way it goes. Once you're chasing them downhill, you're never catching them. <laughs> exactly. There's no way, once they're headed away from you, there's no way to keep up with them. And, you know, we made the mistake that morning of, you know, I assumed I knew exactly where they were at and we were going to get in there early and. We actually got in there ahead of them and ended up uphill of them, and they winded us. And after that, we tried to keep up with them for a little ways, but they left us behind. Yeah. It was like, well, we could keep chasing them all the way into town, or we could lick our wounds and <laughs> get ready yeah. for something else. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so the last night of the hunt, you know, the, the fat lady's putting on her dress, and we head back to that 300-acre property, and it uh, – and and the reason why we kept going over there, just to, you know, be transparent, is there was like a 340-inch bull that one of the guides had seen over there. There was a huge bull over there, and you really wanted him to, you wanted me to get him before rifle season rolled around and somebody shot him with a rifle. Right. <laughs> yeah. We never did, we never caught up to him, but we got set up, I think, in our in our best, probably the the most well-planned setup that we had on that hunt and um sure enough it's once again it's like the the, the faucet turns on around 30 minutes before uh before dark and and here come all the elk down the hill and we get into a conversation with a, a little four by four and i i had ranged everything and i'd actually shot my bow that afternoon all the way out to 60 uh kind of midday when we were taking a break and, and i was feeling pretty confident and you know, I ranged at 62 yards. He was broadside, not not very. You know, he didn't know I was there. He was just kind of feeding and, but also trying to figure out where the call was coming from. He bugled a couple times, um, and I put it on him and let it fly and heard the thwack, and immediately was like, "Oh, that's awesome! I think I'm, I think I just smoked him." And I felt really good about the shot. And you even said you thought. From where, from your vantage point, that it sounded like a a really good hit. Yeah, it did. But when he turned and ran away, my heart sank because I could see that it was only about four inches of penetration, and and I knew I was like, oh, there's just that's just not enough to kill him, you know. And you can't you can't penetrate an elk's uh, shoulder blade with a broadhead. It's just uh, it isn't going to happen. Yeah, that's right. We, I mean, it happens, you know quite a bit actually and you know the bull runs off and you have a broken arrow missing a broadhead and an inch of arrow and that bull actually you know he's gonna limp a little bit and fill it but he's gonna be fine and we kill a lot of bulls during rifle that we find broadheads in their shoulders so yeah well and you know you hate nothing's more disheartening and disgusting feeling than wounding an animal as a hunter i mean we all strive not to do that. And this is the first animal that I've ever shot with a bow that I've not recovered. Um, and, you know, I hate to see that hot streak end, but it happens. And you think about a game of inches, that's what bow hunting is. Uh, three inches left, and that's right in the boiler room. But right. instead, you catch that front shoulder blade. And like you said, someone will eventually shoot him with a rifle, and you'll dig that broadhead out. <laughs> Yeah, it happens quite a bit in that area. Bow hunting is 
and that's what makes it so fun is that it is so challenging but you know uh, you could have a, a perfect shot at 10 yards and a branch the size of a pencil could run that shot for you <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely we did i mean we we found blood uh, it was just a few drops here and there for like 100 yards and it petered out and you confirmed what my eyes saw as you've seen enough of these ones that have been shot in the shoulder to know exactly what the blood looks like and you know how the blood trail will peter out so that was uh that was pretty much all she wrote that was the the season ended right then you know it was the uh, last day of the of the season per uh, New Mexico's uh guidelines there so tag was only good through that day and and ended up coming home empty-handed, but it wasn't for lack of of being in elk every day or or hunting our tails off, because um, we certainly we certainly gave it our best effort. And as far as trifecta outdoors is concerned, Jared, I mean, I was uh, I I didn't really know what to expect from a from an outfitted uh, archery elk hunt uh, was concerned, but it exceeded my expectations. Man, you guys have tons of great properties. You have. Uh, Great guides. I was, you know, I got to hunt with you, but you have uh, five or six guides working for you for you full time. What one of cool is a family, like, kind of like a family business for Anthony because he's got himself and then his two boys also guide for you. Um, Correct. And it seems like you guys run a very family oriented outfit. Yeah, that's what we try to do. I mean, you know, the prices over the years have creeped up with landowners and everything, and. We try to. We're trying to keep our hunts affordable. Where we like, we have several clients that come back every year, and uh, that's all we enjoy. You know the relationships you build through the industry, and there's something about sharing the woods with guys that kind of bonds you to them and make you a lot of friends. So I have nothing but positive things to say about Trifecta Outdoors, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next time that we get to to be in the elk woods together. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it, and we really enjoyed hunting with you guys and look forward to listening to your radio show and podcast. And now, when are you going to get on Instagram? we got to work on that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we need to work on it. So Jared, and Jared does have a Facebook page. It's Trifecta Outdoors, and uh website, is it just trifectaoutdoors.com? Yes. Okay, so that's where you guys can find him. And and just so people know, what uh, ballpark? What what is the average cost for uh, the the five day uh, archery elk hunt um, with you guys? The five day archery elk hunt is usually right around five thousand dollars. Uh huh. And then if you draw a tag in the Carson, it it drops significantly. Yeah, you you'd be looking at about uh, about three thousand dollars. Okay. So in the grand scheme of things, yes, I mean, obviously that's a lot of money, but you're talking about a fully outfitted archery elk hunt. Uh, in some places, they're ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. So uh, for, you know, to have a chance at a 300 to 330-inch to bull, I think it's, a, you know, certainly a fair price. You, you guys, I mean, you're not, <laughs> Jared still has a day job, y'all. He's not getting rich off of this. He just <laughs> likes to hunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know your wife gets, uh, she's probably always, uh, if she's like mine, a little fed up by the end of of hunting season. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that's that comes in the wife manual book. Yeah, 
No doubt. Um, there was one other thing I was going to ask you. Um, so that that's the archery stuff. You guys also do, uh, I imagine, quite a few more rifle hunts. Do you have more seasons uh, to accommodate hunters for rifle hunting as well? Yeah, on, uh, on Unit 4, on the private land rifle hunts, it's, it's any five days between October 1st and December 31st. Oh wow! So we'll usually we'll usually hunt, you know, five or six guys the first couple hunts in October, and then we'll hunt two or three guys a week all the way through December. And do those are those running about the same price? Uh, the October hunts, the early October rifle hunts, run about sixty two hundred. Uh huh. And then uh, the later on in November and December for the migration hunts. They'll run about forty nine hundred. Okay, right on. So plenty of opportunity there. Uh, do you still have any hunts available for this year, or is it all sold out? It's uh, we're booked up for this year, but we are uh, we are taking bookings for next year. Okay. Well, hopefully we can do it again next year. Yes, sir. I've been looking forward to to getting it done with you. All right, Jared. Well, hey, thanks again. Uh, certainly enjoyed spending, spending, like I said, time in the elk woods with you and and uh, learning from how the thing that I'll take away more than more than anything is just how you communicate with the uh, with the elk, and um, it's always beneficial to be able to watch someone who's done it more than you have, uh, and I think that that's important, you know. You always got to keep learning, and if you if you don't have that desire to get better as a hunter, as a woodsman, then what are you even doing, right? Right, and the thing about elk hunting that makes it great is there's nobody that's ever going to master it. So. <laughs> right, it can be a pretty humbling endeavor, no doubt. That's what keeps us coming back for more. <laughs> that's right, gluttons for punishment, and sometimes it yeah. works out. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Jared, thanks again, buddy. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, like I said, I look forward to our next adventure. Yes, sir. All right. Take it easy. Yeah, you too, Cable. Jared Robinson of Trifecta Outdoors. Man, what a great guy. There's some people that you hunt with that you just become fast friends with. And uh, Jared and I quickly developed that rapport. And I can't wait to do it again. Uh, That segment of the show was brought to you by the latest from Pulsar. It's the Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular. It's got the uh, extensive color palette. It's got internal recording. It's got uh, the ability to just, I mean, it's got a computer in it. You can just plug it into your laptop or desktop and just upload your footage directly. It's it's that simple. It's almost too good to be true. And get this, you'll save 20% off the Helion 2.0 when you use my promo code Lone Star underscore PL when you check out at PulsarNV.com. And that's good for any thermal or night vision, monocular, or bino. So be sure to uh, take advantage of that. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Jared Robinson, as well as our other guest, uh, Ben Cassidy of SCI. Appreciate him jumping on. We'll do it again, uh, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Young and never old.
and a long run 